everyone to another iteration of the After Dark portion of the Good Anime Palette podcast. This is After Dark episode number six. So take a relaxing bath if you want. Take a seat. Have a drink or have a soda because we are now discussing a work of someone that I truly, truly like a lot as an anime director. I am your co-host, Jason, and I'm joined, as always, as usual, with Cringe Will over here. Okay, before we even talk about this this, this director, right? Like, how sure are we that this person actually likes drinking soda? No, I'm just saying, like, as the listeners, you can have a beverage while you listen in as we discuss about this uh, prolific anime director. Sure, sure. Okay, right. Well, okay. How's your day been going so far? Um... It's all right. I woke up, had a weird dream, told you about it. You were like, yeah, that's a weird dream. And uh, we came back to the studio and set up the stuff. Well, it's also the fact that your dream was very much anime related. So I'm like, yeah, I can totally relate, bro. Yeah. So and then we were going to start earlier. And then all of a sudden we uh, discovered some new information and decided to uh, add that into the docket at the very last minute. And also we discussed it for quite a bit of time, actually. Yeah, we were supposed to start maybe 20 minutes ago, and now it's... Well, we're not running behind schedule. Like There is no schedule. We do whatever the fuck we want. Absolutely. So right. so should we bring in today's uh, focus, today's main discussion topic? When it comes to Will over here, uh, Edgelord, Edgelord-sama over here, one of his most favorite directors is uh, Masaki Yuasa. And there's no doubt in my mind that the guy is a genius as well. It's funny, too, because like a lot of the stuff he does actually isn't that edgelord. It's just like you, you just remember Devilman Crybaby, which is like maximum edge. Yes, but done in a very artistic way. I can't. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 a great time. It's crazy. But then you also remember he also did Tommy Galaxy, too. It's just like it's like the complete opposite. Yeah, I still need to finish Devilman Crybaby. Uh, my bad on that. So the reason why I mentioned that is... Now, it's my turn to introduce one of the anime directors that I have a huge fondness for. And his name is Mamoru Hosoda, hence why I made the stupid, cringy soda pun earlier. Yeah, well, I was going to say for a minute, it would have been even better if he actually ended up directing Words Pop Like Soda Pop. Words Bubble Like Soda Pop, but he didn't do that one. No, but that's also a pretty decent anime film that people should watch on Netflix. It's on Netflix. Yes. So... We will be talking about Mamoru Hosoda as our director spotlight for After Dark number six. We will go over sort of his general background, his themes and trademarks that kind of are present in all of his uh, works. And then after the break, we will go deep into, I guess, six or seven of his main films that we decide to focus on because the guy has an extensive, extensive resume as key animator as storyboarder so we decided to focus mainly on his directorial work which are only several yeah we we wanted to focus on these specific uh films which we'll talk about in the second half of today's discussion the reason being is that the previous movies he had done before were more adaptations or continuations of like long standing existing properties whereas the ones of focus today are more written by himself, written by his partner, uh, or just like you know, loosely drawn inspiration from a, a, a classic Japanese novel. So 
that's why we wanted to focus on those. Nothing against the other movies. I'm sure they were good, but the ones we focused today, we will probably go through varying levels of recommendation. Some which are very strong. Some which you're like, eh, you could, you could watch them. I mean, like I I enjoyed a lot of the Hosoda movies, but at the same time, if you asked me the same question last week, I would not be able to recommend anything because actually I didn't watch. I only watched one Hosoda movie before we started doing this, uh, uh, the research for this recording. Yeah, you actually went from pretty much zero to a hundred in terms of the con- consuming all of Hasoda's works. So actually this might be good because now it's like I might not have recency bias because everything was all watched in the same time period. So I have like a very fresh perspective on each of the movies we talk about today. Whereas for me, I watched it kind of as they were released somewhat. So we'll see how that goes. For me though, um, I just want to say that Mamoru Hosoda is my favorite anime director of all time. Now you will say then what about Miyazaki? Well, Miyazaki, first of all, there is no doubt that he is one of the greats, and some of his works are just, there's just, you can't compare, really. But if you exclude him, because he's really in the caliber of his own, Mamoru Hosoda is definitely number one on that list if you exclude Miyazaki. Then, Hosoda also has a very interesting relationship with Miyazaki, which we will definitely get into. And then I think one of the other things that um, I would say is Mamoru Soda is just freaking awesome, bro. Yeah. So before we go into the movies, before we even talk about what we liked, we wanted to recommend, we're going to you know, take a step back and talk about the man himself. Mr. Mamoru Hosoda and talk about his his earlier career, his upbringing, and his experiences working as a key animator, as a screenwriter, as a director. Um, going from his early beginnings working with multiple studios to forging his own studio and creating the movies that we'll be talking about in the second half of today. Right. And the reason why we're also doing this now, this episode of Mamoru Hosoda, is mainly because of one reason, which is his latest film, Bell which was released this year, 2021, had a lot of hype behind it. Namely, I think a lot of people gravitated towards the fact that it premiered at the Cannes Film Festival and got a 14-minute record-breaking standing ovation. Regardless of how you feel about sort of 14-minute standing ovations, it nonetheless illustrates that the fact that a Japanese anime film now holds the record at a Cannes Film Festival as kind of the most celebrated film ever is, I think, one of the reasons why propelled us to do this After Dark, and we had to watch it, which we did in theaters in October. Yeah, we watched, I think, not even October, November. I think we only just watched it like a month ago, probably right. a month ago. But the thing is, we wanted to talk about the movie because with without looking at Bell, it's kind of hard for us to only just judge what he had done before. It's always good that whenever there's a new release coming that we have some like fresh perspective on the states of a director's portfolio now there is a certain caveat whilst it did release in asia in japan as well as here in hong kong it's still not out yet in north america i believe that the release date for the bell movie will be january 14th 2022 so when we do talk about Bell, like, look, there's a lot of stuff already discussing on the internet, enough trailers for you to kind of infer what the story's about, but we will, like, hold a few things back. Like, we're not going to spoil the movie if that's what you're worried about. I think, in general, 
which we haven't really decided yet, is we will definitely go over each of the films very in-depth, but I think we'll avoid spoilers. And then maybe after we did a non-spoilery kind of overview, we then maybe will decide to do a spoilery section of all of them in one go. And then maybe one for a bell. We haven't decided that just yet, but... Yeah, go with the flow. We have gone over eight and a half minutes of of of, of idle chit-chatter. Let's go straight into it, Will. So Mamoru Hosoda was born on September 19th, 1967. And uh, he was, I guess, in terms of the West, he is known as two things, really. First of all, he was nominated for an Academy Award for uh, the Best Animated Feature Film in uh, the 91st Academy Awards for his seventh film, Mirai. Now, the other thing that he is also well-known for is... I guess in the on the internet and the forums, he is hailed as the anti Ghibli, the anti Miyazaki. You have to have like a, a hero and villain story out of this, but we will explain why this is actually important. Like even to this day, there's still murmurings of this, I guess, quote unquote, feud between Miyazaki and Hosoda. Though I think it's more just like media agencies and fans like fanning the flames rather than, like, direct criticisms and attacks from either side. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll discuss those and leave it to you to decide, you know, what the actual situation is, who's in the right, who's in the wrong, or maybe it's just, you know, anime beef. So, well, what was Hosoda's upbringing like? So, Hosoda had a pretty interesting upbringing in that he didn't really have much of, like, a, a creative upbringing. His parents were... But, you know, very hardworking laborers. His dad being a a railway engineer, his mom being a tailor. So you know, very much hands on, like hand skills, just doing things to get by. Um, but you know, as, as a kid growing up, he definitely you know wanted to move into the direction of working in the arts, working in media. Do you know uh, the area in which he was born, which is Kamichi, uh, the Toyama, Japan? I, I yeah. know it's it's rural as heck. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, again, we'll be talking about you know some of the settings that Mamoru uh, Hosoda uses for his movies. But generally, like for him growing up in like very rural Japan, it, you kind of have to make do of what you have, and therefore, you know, when you have literally nothing around you except wilderness and forests, it, you you kind of let your creative juices take over. I mean, a very common anime trope, and I guess real life trope of the country bumpkin coming into the big urban city. In this case, it's very real. And I think uh, Hasoda also has to, therefore, ex- before he ventures into the urban jungle, had to sort of develop and hone his skills kind of on his own or seek out sources that are not readily available that would have been available in an urban setting. So he was Hasoda was inspired to take on animation as a career after seeing uh, a film made by Miyazaki of Studio Ghibli fame. The movie in question is the how do I how do I pronounce it? Will the Castle of Cagliostro? Cagliostro. Cagliostro. Cagli. We'll just say Cagli. I have not seen this film. Have you? No. But nonetheless, Hasoda saw it and was like, "Yo, I got to get into this uh, anime business." So he then decided to major in oil painting at the Kanazawa College of Arts in the Ishikawa Prefecture. So similarly with uh, Yuasa, I think, 
he kind of didn't go into like the majored in animation per se, but he majored in an art form. In this case, for Hosoda, it is oil painting. So after he graduated, Hosoda was able to land a job at Toei Animation after submitting a short film that he animated in his spare time. Now, at that time, and I guess still, Toei Animation is huge. Oh, they're massive. Like, if you ever see any sort of, like, a Bandai Namco collaborations or any, like, long-standing anime manga properties, Toei tends to dip their feet in everything. Like, they're just massive, not just in your Japanese anime media, but just, you know, toys across everything, really. Yeah. So... Origin. So the first kind of interaction with Miyazaki was the film that inspired Hosoda to go into animation. So of course, you would when you want to get a job, you would want to go to the place where your hero was or is, which is at Studio Ghibli. So he applied for that at first before he got into toy animation, and he did not get the job. He got rejected. But here's the interesting thing: he received a rejection letter of praise. From Hayao Miyazaki himself. Now, that this is a fact, but the thing is, to me, it just comes to show that at the very least, Miyazaki was like, "Yo, you can't, you, you probably can't work here, but but don't give up, but don't give up. Like you got it." And the fact that he wrote it himself kind of shows you the potential that even Miyazaki sees in him. And of course, Hasoda would probably at the time be very, you know depressed because the place that you really wanted to work you can't get in so that's but no one have you ever heard someone get a letter of praise from Miyazaki no uh, it, like as in like any aspiring animator or anything no I mean like, even his son doesn't get any like rejection like letter of, of praise even after like he's done some terrible moves Goro if you're listening which you're not your, your dad probably still loves you but I mean as a as a director as a boss like he's definitely hard to please. Like I, I don't speak Japanese that well or at all. We'll grab a translator as a mediator. We'll sit down. We'll have a drink. We'll chill out. All right. Just, just you, you'll be fine. So back to Hasoda. When he was during his time at Toy Animation, he worked his way up, as you would, in any Japanese kind of big establishment. He did a bunch of films, mainly of the Digimon Anav- Adventure series, and then. This is the key part, which is he then co-directed his first film, which is Digimon the Movie, which attracted the eye of the Studio Ghibli head producer, Toshio Suzuki. Now, before we get into Studio Ghibli again, because actually the saga has not ended in terms of uh, Miyazaki, Studio Ghibli, and Hosoda, let's talk very briefly about Digimon the Movie, because... It premiered, I think, in 1999. Actually, on my birthday, March 6, 1999. Okay, so, so I was uh, I was only a couple years old at that point. No, several. But at that point, I was like, it wasn't Pokemon; it was Digimon, and I was ecstatic that the Digimon movie came out. I mean, I played a lot of Digimon too on like school grounds and stuff. But Will, you actually own the DVD? Is that correct? Yes. So I actually will want to take over a little bit and just talk about Digimon whilst. You see, so you asked about um, Kamichi, the place that uh, Hosoda grew up, right? So you can just take a quick look at some of the photos here, and you can immediately see like where Hosoda draws his inspiration for a lot of the scenes, a lot of the environments. Wait, this is from Wolf Children, right? 
Yeah, exactly. That one's from both children. And then you see all the temples. Those are yeah. definitely inspiration for like what uh, the Summer Wars house looks like. Um, yeah, we'll get into that in a bit. So the Digimon movies came out like in a, in a, a trio, actually. So there was the first Digimon movie. After that, there was the follow-up movie, which was uh, the War Game. And then the third one, which was Digimon 3D, the Digimon Grand Prix. Uh, now, I didn't watch the 3D one, but I did watch the first two. Uh, I think basically the last one, the Digimon Adventure 3D, came out as part of like a like a, a theme park attraction at Sanrio, uh, the Sanrio Land, and then it re-released again later on for like a, a Toei animation fair back in 2009. Um, now, as mentioned, the Digimon movies were all done under the Toei Animation or the Toei Co- Company banner. Um, th- those movies are great. I just remember watching them, and it was just fantastic because of the fact that not only were you getting the DVD, but you also had an exclusive Digimon trading card that came along with it. Now, I don't know where that card is because after I moved around a bunch of places in Hong Kong, I, I don't think I was able to actually keep track of all. I lost a bunch of Pokemon cards too, unfortunately. So. Speaking of Pokemon, though, uh, one thing I will say about Digimon, the movie, and the trilogy of movies is I also remember watching the movies as well. And despite the fact that I actually don't really remember any of it, what I do remember is how much I loved it. And when it comes to my childhood anime films, again, if you exclude Miyazaki films, there are only several, which mainly is the Pokemon movie and the Digimon movie, really. Those two really cemented in my mind, like, the pinnacle of, like, childhood slash teenager anime film. So, despite the fact I don't remember what it's about, in terms of the Digimon movie. Yeah, you're sure as, shit, as a kid, you must you must have enjoyed it. And I still remember that I enjoyed it. That's like, and to be honest, a lot of people enjoyed the movie. I mean, we won't get into sort of like the accolades and the reviews, but literally everyone was like, wow, this Digimon movie is actually pretty good. Like if you want to just experience some childhood nostalgia again, if you were or still are a Digimon fan, try and find... Digimon Adventure, our war game, because that one of the three movies that came out, granted, I only watched two of them, but at least from my experience, that one was the best Digimon movie. And it's just incredible. And when you watch that movie, you can immediately see the Hosoda style and how it carries over into his subsequent works. Like, you actually find a lot of influence in some of the movies we'll talk about later. Um, so, yeah, that's our experience with the Digimon franchise under the Toei banner done by Maharu Hosoda. Uh, but we now jump for it a little bit into the future. So, as we mentioned, this movie caught the attention of the Studio Ghibli head producer, Toshio Suzuki. And then he's like, bro, you also applied and got rejected, but all right, you, you got the chops. Let's go. And then, officially, Studio Ghibli announced that Hosoda would direct the film's Howl's Moving Castle in September of 2001. Yep, so now the official Studio Ghibli arc of Hosoda's life begins. So... Was it a good arc, though? Oof. So, if you are astute and know of history, because you literally can Google it, How's Moving Castle, Mamoru Hosoda's credit is not anywhere on there. But this is a fact that he was supposed to direct it. So it was supposed to debut... On, in September 2003, originally. But production of the film became strained, mainly due to creative differences. And Hosoda 
I think Hosoda for is really open about a lot of things. And he's just straight up was like, yeah, I was told to make the movie similar to how Miyazaki would have made it. But he wanted to make his own, I wanted to make my own film. And he wanted to make the Miyazaki film, as in talking about the creative differences between him and the producers. It makes sense. I mean, like with the way Ghibli sets up and it's like done with the blood and sweat of Hayao Miyazaki, like you would imagine that anything that's done under the Ghibli banner, it has to follow a certain formula, a certain way of portraying characters and style. It's it's just like when you watch, you know, Disney animations or Pixar animations. Or they even all Marvel follow, films, right? Like they all follow a certain style. Even though the director might be from an indie film director or a big name director, when you direct, for example, a Marvel film or a Disney film or a Pixar film, there are certain things that kind of like unwritten rules or actually even rules that you have to abide by to keep it in line with the style and the feel of those properties. I think it's perfect. We were, we were just talking about Eternals last night, actually. Yeah, let's not. Out, but that's a whole different thing. It's not anime. We're not talking about that today. So in the end, though, Hosoda, because of these creative differences, left in the summer of 2002 during the early production stages after failing to uh, come up with a concept that the Studio Ghibli execs kind of felt that is acceptable. And then the film was shelved until Mizaki took over and he would then resume the production and complete it and then release it. So that's why Miyazaki's name as the director is on Howl's Moving Castle and not Hosoda. Now, Howl's Moving Castle, if I can just go real quick, I think is a very good film. Pretty good film, actually. And it's one of those Western Ghibli... Uh, is one of those Ghibli films that the Western world really gravitates towards, to, in my opinion. Obviously, the main one being Spirited Away. But I think... Uh, House Moving Castle is also within the same sentence that people would say as well. Yeah. There's a lot of, you know, Ghibli properties that people love. I mean, like, fucking, like, Totoro, Kiki's Delivery Service, like, Princess Mononoke. But for sure, when it comes to, like, the grand daddy of all Ghibli movies, Spirited Away has, like, taken over the West, like, none other. Right. So now, going back to Hasoda's situation, he basically was like, to the studio execs, at least, of Studio Ghibli is like, fuck you. I'm not going to do House Moving Castle. Fuck that shit. But then now he's like, well, what am I going to do? I'm going to go back home. In this case, he proceeds to go back to Toy Animation. And Toy Animation's like, bro, you did those... I mean, this is like simulated, right? It was like, bro, you did those uh, Digimon movies, man. You, I know you're good. We work together. We're great. So let's work on a few more animations, such as... Um, Certain commercials of like, for example, like Louis Vuitton. Like what? 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 Well, he why? also did that in collaboration with uh, Takashi Murakami. That oh, art, yeah. Oh, the flower guy, the artist. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that was like a collaboration with uh, with LV, with Murakami, and Hosoda. Which actually, when you think about it, it sounds artsy as fuck, right? Yeah. I haven't seen it though. I haven't seen it either. Yeah. So before, and then like the next piece that he did was actually so not only just doing the Digimon movies, he then ventured over to doing One Piece. So that was the. Um, one of the I'm not sure if it's canon or not. I've watched some One Piece movies, but I can't remember this one. Uh, but this movie came out in 2005, so shortly after he had left, uh, and then a year after Howl's Moving Castle had dropped as well. So that was, I believe, the last major thing that he did at Toei Animation. No, uh, it says he, because he eventually directed one episode of Ajamjo Doremi. Yeah, which but, is uh, kind but, of like a magical girl kind of thing. But then... But in terms of movies and films. Oh, yeah, that is true. Yeah. Sorry. Um, but then uh, this kind of 
uh, production led him to be hired by the next studio that he had a huge influence over and the the people there, which is Studio Madhouse. Always, Studio Madhouse can never leave the grasp when it comes to the history of anime during that time period. Yeah. We're not going to go over too much about the, the Madhouse history itself because we actually did that as an episode before when we did our Studio Madhouse analysis, but we do talk about you know the works that he did and essentially how this provided the foundation for what Hosoda would embark on as his next major project. Absolutely. And that is sort of the start of the set of movies that we will be discussing. Namely, the 2006 The Girl Who Left Through Time and the 2009 Summer Wars. Now, there is also the next film that was going to be made called Wolf Children. That one actually is a co-production between two studios because Mamoru Hosoda's like, bro, I think I'm going to make my own studio because a lot of people do. Uh, Yuasa did it with Science Saru and Hosoda did it with Studio Chizu. But as I guess kind of like a transition, I actually don't know the reason why, but probably as a transition because Studio Chizu was uh, freshly established at the time. Um, The Wolf Children was a co-production between Madhouse and Studio Chizu. However... Going forward, every three years thereafter, Studio Chizu becomes the sole studio of Mamoru Hosoda's anime film work. And it just so happens that he has timed it such that every three years, a new movie has been made. In fact, that that that's started with The Girl Who Left Through Time. Yeah, 2006, 2009, 12, 15, 18, and then now Bell, 2021. So... Yeah, it was actually interesting that you basically, you know how like Science Saru was just basically because the fact that Yuasa wanted to create something more artistic, right? And be able to flex his own creative juices. That was the same reason for why Chizu was created. So Chizu was not only created by Hosoda, but also by his partner and co-founder, Yuichiro Saito. So he actually also worked at Madhouse um, for quite a while. Um, he had met Hosoda back in 2004, and that was eight years before they founded Studio Chizu. So they worked together on creating the opening for Samurai Champloo. Uh, they also worked together, and pro- he actually produced The Girl Who Lived Through Time and Summer Wars. And then in 2011, they decided to, he decided to basically jump ship and then join Hosoda at Studio Chizu with the intention of creating a studio that was more of like an auteur's Studio, so essentially flexing artistic and creative juices. I, I understand as well why they would do that because in the end, like Madhouse is Madhouse, Madhouse is his own style, and the way that Hosoda was going about with his movies, it was great that he used Hosoda as a uh, used Madhouse as a platform to do what he wanted because they were like, dude, we know you're good, do this shit. But in the end, like you could see that there was a stark difference between the stuff they did, Wolf Children before and then after wolf children you could see there is like a distinct style difference but you you knew that this was a step that he needed to make also i think madhouse and 2011 had that infamous year of that exodus so then kind of people were like leaving in droves so yeah it wasn't down to his though it wasn't like because his sort of leaving therefore like madhouse was going the madhouse situation was a whole different situation i mean even yuasa was like jump ship so it's a very complex thing if you want to listen to it i think it's episode 11 or 10 somewhere there at the madhouse episode and we go in depth into that 
But back to Hosoda, I would like to also mention another important person, and she is called Satoko Akudera. She is a script writer, and she wrote the script for The Girl Who Let Through Time, Summer Wars, and Wolf Children. Now, her catalog in terms of her credits is not that extensive, and recently she hasn't been doing much. But back then, she was frequently known to be a constant collaborator with Mamoru Hosoda. And her earlier, his earlier works, she has she wrote them. That's it. And they're good. So I just also want to highlight her contribution towards the Hosoda saga as well. Yeah, just to give like a brief overview like in terms of the work that she's done. So Girl Who Let Through Time in 2006, as well as Summer Wars in 2009, both movies won the Tokyo Anime Awards Best Screenplay. So you can see that like it was the right decision to bring her on board to do these works. She also wrote Wolf Children. Um, she's been the winners of the Yokohama Film Festival Best Screenplay, uh, the Mainichi uh, Film Concours Screenwriting Award, as well as the Japanese Academy Prize for Best Screenplay. Very long his like, story background, her CV speaks for itself. But I think the she's funniest, kind of chilled out a bit now, though. Yeah, the funniest part of her CV that we both realized was when we were trying to do research on her. She actually worked in the oil industry first, and then and then slowly transitioned to screenwriting. So I thought that that was a really random but kind of interesting tidbit. That, yeah, that, that was it. Maybe when she was out like on oil rigs, or maybe when she took like you know one of the many vacation days that you get out of working in the oil and gas industry. Like maybe she was like, you know what? Like I used to write. Why don't I just write? And then all of a sudden, just rolled up to. Hosoda, I was like, yo, I got a movie script for you. Let's do this. And then next thing you know, three movies. And I I think she's basically made her own legacy. So props to Okudera. All right. So the major works that we are going to focus on for Mamoru Hosoda is the following. Now, we went through the Digimon movie very briefly, but we won't actually get into that any further. Do you, right, Will? I think the reason being is that I watched it over... 15 years ago absolutely and i watched it like over two decades ago so uh, and also i think it's quite hard to find nowadays so we have to deci- thing as well is like you say dvd right like i don't even have a dvd drive on my computer or on my laptop anymore yeah me too and like i'm not about to like just pull up my ps5 or maybe my ps4 just so i can watch the movie like, i i know what the movie was all about i'd rather talk about the actual like six movies that we watched, well, I watched over the past four days. All right, so that those six movies are the 2006 movie of The Girl Who Left Through Time, the 2009 movie Summer Wars, the 2012 Wolf Children, the 2015 The Boy and the Beast, the 2018 Mirai, and the 2021 film Belle. Now, we, Will and I have watched all six of those films, and... uh. Will especially has watched them extremely recently. For me, uh, I watched some kind of way back when, some recently. But one thing that I think Will and I want to go over before we go into in-depth of each of these movies after the break is Hasoda's themes and trademarks and how we feel about him as a creator and as sort of an influence on the anime industry. One of the things that I think is extremely apparent when you watch Hasoda's works that may or may not be a thing that you like is beast men and furries. So 
Will and I have been hesitant to sort of address this, but at the same time... I'm, I'm not hesitant at all, okay, actually. Fuck, fuck it, then. Let, let's go for it. There is no doubt in, in my mind, and anyone's mind for that matter, that if you watch any of Hasoda's movies... There is not any. There has to be some presence of furries, like furry creatures or beast men or beast women, and sometimes it is heavily integrated into the story, like wolf children, and sometimes it is so random, like Mirai. But it it just needs to be there. And at this point, regardless of how you feel about furries or whatnot, if the next Hasoda movie in what twenty twenty one plus plus three, so twenty twenty four does not have a furry aspect to it i'll be like dude someone someone murdered or brainwashed hasoda this is this is not hasoda's work yeah but i think like there is a like, reason for why he has like furries or beastmen or monsters and it's just generally because like, i mean like, he, he talks about it in um his interview for bell where he felt like the most interesting character obviously was the beast Right, and the reason for it is because the fact that his outwardly appearance, his demeanor, is you know very violent and dark and depressing. But deep down inside, there's also a sense of vulnerability and a longing for happiness. So generally, like it's it's another theme of his movies too, where it's children or even adults overcoming adversity, overcoming trauma, trying to like beat the obstacles that are in front of them to be able to attain a sense of peace, a sense of happiness, because it is a constant theme throughout all of his works these at least these six movies when i say all of his works from hereafter i i'm referencing these six movies usually the character has experienced a tragedy that is not shown in the movie or will be shown as a flashback and how that tragedy has influenced this person and sometimes these these events have to be overcome as will said in order for the characters to move on. I also think another very interesting thing of Mamoru Hosoda's films, as there are plenty of things that are interesting, is the voice cast. If you were to look at the voice credits of a lot of Hosoda's films, not necessarily like all of them are like this, but most of them at least have some aspect of this, is the voice actors and actresses are kind of newbies or amateurs. And... You might say, like, well, that's kind of risky, right? And in a way, you're correct. But the way that I see it is, at least looking at the at these six movies, these voice actors and actresses who sometimes even only have that one movie credit to their name and that's it, they are highly competent. But they also have this kind of thing where it sounds a little bit kind of amateurish. And I think that really captures kind of like the, the 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 immaturity, childishness. And I mean this in the best possible way of conveying certain things in a character that I think a professional voice actor or actress may not be able to do so easily. I think it's also just the direction and the style that Hasoda has, like being more like an auteur, more art housey. When you have people that aren't necessarily like mainstays in the industry, like look, if you had like a movie like that was done by Hosoda, but you had like Kanahana voicing a character, or you had like um, uh, Kenjiro Suda, right? The guy who did um, The Way of the House Husband. He was also My Hero Academia. Like, if you have those very recognizable voice actors and actresses, in the end, like, it just kind of just sounds similar to any other anime, any other production you have. So, when you watch like a, a long standing series or like a seasonal and you start hearing familiar voices, yeah, it's easier for you to acclimate and understand. But when you 
have a new actor or actress, whether they are a singer, an actual live action actor, or just like actually a newbie to the industry, there's a sense of like unfamiliarity. You're not used to this person. Therefore, it allows for you to have a more open space to understand and explore all aspects of a movie. And I think it's, it's nice. It's a nice, fresh approach where you're stepping into a world that's completely unfamiliar to you. So we have discussed one of Hosoda's trademarks with furries, and we have discussed the voice acting aspect of his movies. But when it comes to the film composition itself of the movie, there are several themes that are very, very apparent in all six of these movies. Namely, there are some time-lapse sequences that usually there's no voice whatsoever. Music plays in the background and it kind of shows like a montage of time passing. And It might even have music. It might just have Sakata's like chirping in the background. Like just just basically just a a continuous shot of like a a, a large landscape with a a bridge and some flowing water. And then like there's Sakata's in the background. Right. The, these time-lapses... I really enjoy because it really shows without saying any words sort of the development of these characters. And it really, they, Soda does it so well. The another thing that I think is, uh, you can't deny is kind of like this crossroads duality kind of theme, which is at some point characters will have to face a choice. And then the choice is presented in visual form in front of them. For example, at one point, a character might be on a bridge and has to choose between going left or right because there's something on either side that the character needs to choose. Or the character is literally at a crossroad and has to choose between going into the store on the left and going into the store on the right. But there is a very significant choice by committing to one or the other. It may not appear significant in the beginning. Sometimes it might just be like, oh, you either go left or you go right. Okay. Well, you're at the same spot again. Are you going to go left or go right? It doesn't really matter all that much. Third time, fourth time, fifth time. Then you start realizing this is not just like by coincidence that they have to make these choices. No, they're like all, it all culminates to one specific reason as to why choices and why crossroads are an important theme in all, actually, in all of, of, the, of Hosoda's movies. Yes. I think also another thing of Hosoda's movies that I think are rather uncommon in anime or anime films is the use of kind of like a continuous shot. Because in live-action movies, people do that uh, all the time. But like, in, the, like the one takes, right? Yeah, the one takes. But why would you do that in an anime film when you literally can control all aspects of the perspective? But Hasoda does this thing where it literally, for example, there is like a, there's a bus station metro scene in Bell where literally the shot just stays there. But then there are interactions happening, and it just it's just a one-shot. Or in A Boy and the Beast, there is a scene in front of a school. And literally, the instead of flipping to a different perspective, cutting to a different perspective, the perspective just shifts left, yeah, it shifts pans, right, yeah. as if it's just as if you're watching it. And that kind of uh continuous shot, I think, is quite unique, to be honest. And it is even more unique that there's almost one in each of these six movies and that it is a constant theme that uh, constant, at least method that Hasoda uses. Okay. We have now discussed a lot of the themes and trademarks. 
But now let's get to probably the most controversial or the most heavily discussed aspect of uh, Mamoru Hosoda in terms of his themes and attitudes and beliefs. And this is the part where we have to bring back an old adversary, Hayao Miyazaki, again. And this is the theme of the depiction of women, girls, female characters in general. Female characters in general. Now, Mamoru Hosoda's films usually feature a woman in great capacity, whether it is a mother or it actually the main character is a woman herself. But he has a lot to say about the general depiction of women in anime and specifically the depiction of women in the Miyazaki films that Studio Ghibli makes. Will, how are we going to break this down? Simple. Hosoto feels that women are underrepresented or over-idealized in not just Ghibli movies, but anime in general. Just the landscape of Japanese anime productions, it just feels that there's a certain type or a certain method of portraying women in properties that he just doesn't really agree with. He feels that sometimes people like women are made to be super vulnerable so that it's easy for you to sympathize and then over idealize or maybe the other way around where they're super powerful but vulnerable in the middle. And therefore, like you have to start breaking them down and understanding them at the very core. And therefore, you then grow an affinity to like these female characters. So he's, he's very, very strong about how women are portrayed and how he feels that there should be at least some sort of major shift in the presentation in the, in the representation of women but the, the the main thing here is that not only is he just talking about the general anime landscape he doesn't specifically name Miyazaki by name but when you hear and see the interview he did with uh the it, AFP interview exactly uh which is a french uh press uh, kind of uh, re- uh, what do you call it? like news agency kind Agence of France Presse, which literally is the France news agency. I'm really sorry that we might have butchered that French, but I would have butchered it even worse. So uh, thank you for taking the bullet on that one, Will. But they did an interview with Hosoda, and I quote: "This is what Hosoda says. He highlighted the tendency that to depict them as sacred and has nothing to do with reality of who they are." He's talking about women here. And he also said that a master of animation who always takes a young woman as his heroine and commented that, to be frank, I think he does it, but he does not have confidence in himself as a man. This veneration of young woman really disturbs me, and I do not want to be a part of it. You only have to watch Japanese animation to see how young women are underestimated and not taken seriously in Japanese society. And he says that he wants to avoid portraying his heroines as paragons of virtue and innocence, which to him represents the oppression of having to be liked, to be like everyone else, to be a sheep, I guess. Yeah, basically, like, making it so that female characters have to follow certain ideals because if they're fundamentally broken, they have to find a path to becoming whole again, to be, like, normal, to be peaceful. Whereas, Hosoda just feels like, you know, like, it doesn't matter if they're bad or good. Like in the end, everyone has their own trials and tribulations. Everyone has their own problems. We shouldn't like magnify the problem and hope to fix them. We should just let them self-explore what it really means to be human, not to what it means to be a woman. And this kind of 
idea and perspective and the debate that surrounds it is kind of extremely relevant nowadays with the Me Too movement and stuff like that. So I know it's a very touchy subject, but it, you also have to consider, in my, from my, in my opinion, the perspective of the Japanese society in general and how patriarchy is kind of a huge thing in terms of the male is the breadwinner. The male cannot be the house husband. The woman has to be the child bearer. I mean, biologically, yes, but as in like the one who takes care of the kids, uh, there is no room for the, sometimes the woman may be strong, but it's an embodiment of a guy rather than actually the woman herself. And it's a, it's a, it's a hard social issue to tackle in general. And I think in Japanese society, it is extra hard. Well, it's shifting now. It's definitely a lot better than it was before. But, you know, it, it's definitely still casting a shadow on a contemporary Japanese society. Just the fact that a lot of you know big CEOs, a lot of the cabinets that work in Japan are still male dominant. Um, let's not even talk about what happened with the Japanese Olympics and uh, some of the comments that the previous leader of the Japanese Olympics Committee had said, therefore mm. leading to his... Uh, early release and to be replaced by you know a female lead like yeah we would hope that these issues like get erased but sometimes all habits die hard and it te- it's definitely not something that can be fixed overnight and i think that a lot of hasoda's films to his credit he puts his money where his mouth is for example without it's not, it's not really a spoiler in mirai it talks about parent like parents taking care of kids and the father is actually the house husband for a good portion, and in fact, a lot of it. Uh, the depiction of women in Hasoda's films in general are depicted, as Will said, flawed individuals, but that's who humans are. We are flawed. We're nowhere perfect. And he doesn't hide any of that, I, I guess you would say, ugliness or kind of trauma that People on one hand might say that, well, you're just like, you're just showing this woman as being weak. But to Hosoda, at least and from my perspective, he's showing that these women are real. He's showing that these women are, are just like, are just like people who experience these things rather than being kind of a stereotype that is propelled by whether it is society or the media itself. Yeah, it has nothing to do for him to say like, oh, if this woman is broken, fix them. If this man is broken, fix them. No, it's just the fact that that's the duality in life, that everybody has some good and some bad in them. But that's that's generally just what being human is all about. And I think that Mamoru Hosoda is a great, great film director. And we will now probably take our break. Yeah, we're going to start talking about the movies themselves and how the certain themes and tropes that we discussed actually apply to these specific movies. Some done really well, some eh, we, we'll, we'll go into it and like really further analyze what makes a Hosoda movie and like our general thoughts on which movies we liked, which ones we didn't, and which ones we would like to actually share with you guys and you guys should check out. All right, so we will come back after the break and go over these six movies. See you later. Catch you later.
You're listening to the second half of today's episode for the After Dark series. Just as a reminder, this is episode six, covering the history and the works of Mamoru Hosoda, one of our most acclaimed, one of our favorite uh, anime movie directors. To be fair, actually, I only just say that because I've only watched his stuff in the last week, but hey, opinion still stands. As always, it still will, and as always, it's still Jason. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing all right. Now, so, yeah, we went over some pretty uh, pretty detailed history of Hosoda, but now this is the time when we move into contemporary times and talk about his actual works that have spanned over the past 15 years. Now, we will go over six movies that are in question, as I mentioned before the break. We would talk about The Girl Who Left Through Time in 2006, uh, 2009 Summer Wars, 2012 Wolf Children, 2015 Boy and the Beast, 2018 Mirai, and 2021 Bell. I think, despite I haven't discussed it with Will, we'll try to keep spoilers at a minimum. And if we do decide to do a spoiler section, we will always let you know, and we would make sure to give you ample time to make sure you don't hear the spoilers. Yeah, but generally we'll give you like a brief sort of plot plot synopsis so you at least know what the movie's about and how we feel about it so let's start with where it all began because studio chizu their mascot their logo is the girl from the girl who leapt through time in 2006 actually before we go into that um the digimon movies they're all good uh we won't talk much about them but if you're going to watch one uh our war game. Watch that one. Okay. The second one, right? Yes, the second one. Okay. That was my favorite one. Anyways, now we're going to be talking about the the main discussion, which is the six movies of Mamoru Hosoda, starting with The Girl Who Leapt Through Time back now, in 2006. Now, originally, and uh, it's funny I said originally, a lot of Hosoda's works are original creations. You didn't do that on purpose, did you? No, originally, actually. Originals? I actually did not do that on purpose. Smart. I, and I caught myself. But... The Girl Who Left Through Time was actually loosely based on a science fiction novel of the same name by Yasutaka Tsuitsui. Tsuitsui. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Just add it to the awards, bro. Right. So this one was produced by uh, Madhouse back in 2006, directed by Hosoda with the script written by uh, Satoko Okudura. Which we mentioned uh, she... That's her start in terms of uh, collaborating with um, Mamoru Hosoda in terms of his directorial anime film work. And she won the best screenplay at the Tokyo Anime Awards for this film. Yeah. So just to give you a, a few numbers, at least that these were the this is the data that we got from my anime list in terms of the rankings, the popularity. Uh, the raw score itself as of today is an 8.15. Very good. Ranked overall 337 across all anime properties, which includes films, TV shows, OVAs, ONAs, originals, and yada, yada, yada. Popularity-wise, it's in the top 200 at 197, and the total members list is at 691,510, which is really good, especially for a movie that came out 15 years ago. The way that if you are unfamiliar with these kind of scores, even though we have used my anime list in the past... The members category, if you are above 100K, that's pretty good, especially if it's before you premiere in terms of a seasonal anime. But to get past uh, the 500K mark is really good. And obviously, some very few reach over the 1 million mark. I mean, at that point, you're talking about your Demon Slayers, your One Pieces, your, at least in the manga world, your, your, your Berserks. So to even be in the top 200... 
when you think about all the anime movies and properties that have come out, you're in very good company. So The Girl Who Let Through Time is the story of Makoto Kono and her last year of high school. And uh, as the movie title implies, she gains the ability to travel through time. Yeah, it's actually a very simple premise. It's just basically a girl who is entering the final days of her high school life. And as most teenagers or just most young adults in general, not really knowing what direction she wants in her life. You know, she's made some good friends. She's done well in school, though, at the same time, not really knowing what the future holds for herself. So kind of wandering around aimlessly, just doing things as the days go by. It's a slice of life as, as it comes. Until one day she discovers this power to be able to literally leap through time. And as she starts using it, she discovers ways of using this newfound power, whether it's just for, you know, self-exploration, for more comedic values, maybe erasing mistakes that she's made in the past. She essentially just goes in with blissful ignorance and just thinks, ah, cool, I got this power, I'm going to do whatever the hell I want with it and just have fun. Just literally the fact that she's aimless with her future, now she's got time on her side, she's going to just aimlessly wander through all all these different time periods and do whatever the hell she wants. All right. Now, this film was the first Hosoda film that I watched, as you might expect, because it's the, the earliest work in terms of the six movies. But by the time I watched The Girl Who Left Through Time, Summer Wars and Beast Children and Wolf Children kind of came out already. So actually, not Wolf Children, Summer Wars and The Girl Who Left Through Time. So, But Will has watched it extremely recently, so he, it is fresh in his mind. I actually only watched it like four days ago. And we're not going to go through all the awards and accolades because it won quite a lot of stuff, bro. Academy of Prizes, Tokyo Anime Awards. It's got some stuff from the uh, from the Nihon SF Taisho Award, yada, 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 Young Artist Awards. Let's just say it's, it's very critically acclaimed. Yes. And... I really like the film. Yeah. I gave it an 8 out of 10, which is kind of like a BB plus kind of area. Um, it's a very simple story, but it is also very well executed. And especially when you have this newfound power of traveling through time, uh, you would, as like, I guess, any teenager, and in this case, a teenage girl, high school girl, you kind of just like, yo, let's see what this is all about and just kind of do stupid shit. Do whatever the hell you want with it, right? Like, boy asks you out. You say no. Okay, well, what happens if I go back in time and I say yes instead? Or, oh, what if I find out that if I'm playing this game and I know the outcome of the game, maybe instead of losing, I go back in time, do the right things, and win the game instead? It's just one of those things where it's like you don't really think about the consequences of your actions, but because the fact that when you're playing with time... Those actions are going to catch up with you, and that's essentially what happens as Makoto uh, slowly learns about the consequences of her actions by manipulating time. And that kind of theme of manipulating and messing with time causing a lot of bad stuff is is a very common trope. So it is not revolutionary, this idea, but I think the way that uh, she goes about it is very... uh, very humorous. Yeah. And it, it, it touches a lot of the Hosoda trademarks, right? Like, t- 
teenage innocence, overcoming adversity, time lapse montages, the, having the whole like choice of direction, the duality of life, and all that. Like all the core concepts and themes that we mentioned in the first half of this discussion very much applied to the girl who left through time and it makes sense this is like the first thing that he had done as a solo project outside of working on the digimon and one piece movies of toei um especially working with madhouse working on a script that was done by okudera overall i i really enjoyed the movie like of all the hosoda movies if we're not including the digimon stuff this is the second movie that i watched because i watched bell first and then it's to watch everything else chronologically it's also an 8 out of 10 for me. Very, very good movie. Like, If you were to start getting yourself into the Hosoda-verse, it's definitely one of the top two or maybe even top three of the gateway uh, movies to get into all the Hosoda stuff. I re- really recommend it. Do you know how much it earned? Because uh, I experienced some sort of difficulty trying to find the worldwide box office performance. But uh, Japan-wise, it was 300 million yen. Okay, yeah. So that's a lot of money. It's pretty good. Made quite a bit of money in in Korea as well. Um, generally, like very well received throughout Asia, and especially when it comes to like the critical response, you know, for all the different media agencies, the review aggregation websites like Rotten Tomatoes, very highly regarded. I mean, like on Rotten Tomatoes, it holds an eighty eight percent approval rating. Um, generally, it's very well received. Of course, it's like it's just because it's Critics' choice doesn't mean it's popular choice, but actually, like this one kind of bucks the trend. It's popular on both sides. Both the fans and the critics like the movie. So then we go into three years later with Summer Wars. Now, Summer Wars is a movie that on the surface sounds extremely simple, which is a girl at a school asks the guy main character to pretend to be his her boyfriend so then she can appease her grandma great grandma great grandma because she doesn't have a lot of time left so it's kind of trying to reassure her and it just so happens that the male main character is a mathlete and um it talks about this family gathering that uh she and the male main character are going to and at the same time there is this weird kind of digital space called oz that is involved as kind of shows these avatars and everything. It's basically the metaverse. Meta, yeah, sure. Oh, if, God. If, we're, if we're gonna bring it to contemporary language, it's a virtual reality social media network. And this is the start of the furry theme because there's not. In fact, I don't think there's any in the girl who left through time. Is no, there? Not at all. But from Summer Wars onwards, there is at least has to be a presence of some sort of beast man, beast woman, like animal kind of creature animal like humanistic kind yeah. of creature humanoids i guess is the term yeah but again it's also like not really like celebrating furries it's just the fact that when you enter this world of oz like you create an alter ego you create a, a separate entity that's you know different from who you are or it could just be a pure reflection of who you are you but, have you're an yeah. avatar yeah. yeah exactly you have an avatar and it just so happens that a lot of them are beast men wolves furries but there's also like little weird like little sprites right yeah, exactly so the worldwide box office for summer wars unfortunately were not too good it was 18.3 million or 18.4 million that's still way better than girl who through time of course when you look into like overall like the u.s box office 
not huge, but I think for the production level and the, for the size of the movie itself, it, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Now, I feel that Summer Wars is a 10 out of 10 anime film. I really, really like that film. Uh, the sense of family, the wackiness that comes with it, even the integration of the digital world that comes into play, the kind of the cutesy, wholesome nature of it is very, very good to me. And I I really like the film, and I put it in super high regard. It's a very nice juxtaposition between like the unity of family and the lonely landscape that is Oz, especially when you enter this whole new world, this virtual reality space, which is larger than the Earth itself, and just really trying to find out who you are. And then all this, there's another thing that I want to mention in Summer Wars that it's not that apparent right now when we go through it chronologically is action scenes. I think that Mamoru Hosoda, he's not like a visionary when it comes to action scenes, but dude can dude can direct some pretty good fight scenes. And Summer Wars, you can definitely see the start of it. The other thing as well is in comparison to The Girl Who Left Through Time, artistically, it's wonderful. When you start looking into the virtual reality space, when you look at the landscapes of the real world that they're in, because, again, knowing that this is still very much a movie that's based on the experiences of Hosoda, you're going to be going back to rural Japan and starting to see all those old countryside, foresty kind of landscapes, the images of running water over a bridge, or just general rural life in Japan. The juxtaposition between high-tech virtual reality and old-school Japanese rural countryside, it was a very nice contrast, and both of them are done really, really well. So we forgot to mention the My Anime, My Anime List rating for... We didn't forget. We were just going to do it next, right? Okay. Uh, absolutely, do, man. Do not ever talk about that we forgot stuff. Everything is planned accordingly. Wait, Will, can we just cut this out? We just cut this out, right? Pretend you didn't hear anything. So, the My Anime List rankings and popularity. The raw score is 8.06. And the ranking is 476. The popularity is 352 with uh, 463,589 members. It's less popular, critically acclaimed, and less members and less raw score than Girl Left Through Time. But anything above an 8 on my anime list is really good in terms of raw score and ranking if you're the top 1000 for popularity you're doing pretty well right because just think about how much anime there is on the internet like the the database from anime list is fucking huge so you should still pat yourself at the back you're you're in the top 500 which this movie is so it, you you gave it a 10 out of 10 right yes i did right i i liked the movie for what it is it's definitely a visual masterpiece not to mention the music as well is really really good i felt that the plot on the other hand was was okay the reason why i say that is because it actually feels very very similar to the digimon movie our war game in that it is very much a juxtaposition between chill country life but also crazy virtual reality shit that's happening in real time and then you know the real world people having to solve a virtual reality problem before things kind of get a little catastrophic i think that's generally like why i, I decided to give it more an eight out of ten 
as opposed to anything higher. Now, that's not to say it's a bad movie. It's a good movie. It's just I felt that I got a lot more out of watching The Girl Who Left Through Time compared to Summer Wars. Nonetheless, very good watch, visually impressive, and it's a story that can be very heartwarming for, for most people. When it comes to Will and I's personal rankings, anything eight or above, like an eight is what we kind of say like we would recommend and we think it is good. When it comes to nine, we then think it's exceptional. And when it's 10, usually, at least for me, it's more of like a personal kind of attachment and feeling that a lot of people may not have that I have a personal uh, connection with. That or just as a masterpiece regardless of your you know prior watch lists your you know your your perceived like at least personal favorites it's it's a 10 out of 10 is something that anybody should at least check out and also it won a lot of awards uh the 2010 uh Japanese Academy Prize for Animation of the Year the Japanese uh Media Arts Festival Animation Division Grand Prize and there are it's nominated for uh, a lot of awards as well we won't get into that but I can see that you have a preference for Summer Wars over Girl Who Left the Time because you decided not to go over the list of awards for Girl Who Left the Time, but this one you wanted to list out. I wonder why one got a 10 out of 10, the other one only got an 8 out of 10. Well, okay, guys. A little bit of bias here. It's fine. I mean, super, clearly, super, clearly like, Summer Wars is definitely a good movie. Super, I, super biased, man. Like, 100%, <laughs> 100%. What are you talking about? I, I I really like Summer Wars more than Girl Who Left the Time. Look, look but, but, we, we as the GAP are very objective biased okay so <laughs> but but, but we're to, gonna have our favorites but to be fair without girl who left through time you won't get summer wars to the point where hosoda is like yo our logo for studio chizu is the girl who left through time so there is no doubt in my mind that the girl who left through time is not only a good film but a very pivotal film in hosoda's life so i give them that yeah 100 and not to mention as well with the movie summer wars it also taps into a lot of the the, the themes and the, the topics that Osoda generally likes to use, right? The, lo- the long, continuous shots, the time lapses, the use of furries, which is the first instance in the Hosodaverse, if you're not including any of the Digimon stuff, because Digimon is basically furries. Um, not to mention the, the whole choice, duality, crossroad thing, definitely very prevalent in Summer Wars as well. So it's still very much sticks to the the Soto formula. One thing that I will say about Summer Wars before we wrap Summer Wars up is, despite the fact that it was made in 2009, the 3D kind of uh, CG of the digital space, it still looks pretty good. Oh, it's fucking incredible. And we live in a time when, obviously, technology has advanced since 2009, and you would think that 3D CG anime has evolved. And in some ways, yes, absolutely. But in terms of general use and implementation of 3D CG in anime, this 2009 film's use still looks fantastic. And I would say is above above average for sure. It, it, of- it's better than some of the stuff we've seen recently. Like yeah. the first five minutes, that opening montage of the, the world of Oz is impressive. Like very, very well done, smooth. The color contrasts are very striking. It juxtaposes well with the music and the sound effects they use. And then they bring you out of that virtual world into the real world. And then you just see very, like, quote-unquote, natural, lush green of the forests and the trees. So going back and forth between digital age and real world, no matter which side you're looking at, it, it just looks fantastic. It looks really, really good. Fast forward three years to 2012, we have 
what I would consider one of the big boys, one of the Hasoda big boys. And the final of the, the Madhouse productions before going into pure Studio Chizu. Right. Uh, we're talking about Wolf Children. This was a co-production between Studio Madhouse and Studio Chizu. As I mentioned earlier before the break, I am unsure of why it was a co-production. There could be a myriad of reasons. But nonetheless, it shows kind of like this partnership between the two studios that have fostered Mamoru Hosoda in terms of Studio Madhouse and the place where he can grow, which is Studio Chizu. Yeah, I think it might have just been just down to timing because Studio Chizu um, formed in 2011 and the movie came out in 2012. So maybe at that point when he moved on to create the studio using his own resources, then he was able to tack on the, the Chizu name while basically acknowledging the fact that a lot of the support also came in from Studio Madhouse. And this is pure speculation, but I think Mamoru Hosoda really has a deep appreciation for what Studio Madhouse has done for him, just similar to a lot of creators as well. Let's be real. like Madhouse, we've talked about it before. They made some really incredible stuff. And for a lot of the producers, a lot of the directors we've talked about before... Like, like we got Shinichiro Watanabe, we Shitoshi got Toshi Khan, yeah, we got Yuasa, and now we also have Osoda. Like a lot of them got their beginnings, or they grew their careers with Madhouse. Right, Ong so. Young Choi also. I mean, let's not talk about all the storyboarders, the key animators, the quote unquote lesser known people that got good at Studio Madhouse. Yeah. So you know, a silent round of applause for Studio Madhouse. Okay. And now we talk about Wolf Children. Wolf Children on my anime list has a raw score of 8.61. Now we're breaching into the close to masterpiece level. Ranked 71 with popularity of 190 with 698,669 members. So basically 700,000. In terms of popularity, I think that it's the most popular out of the Hosoda movies just about, because Girl Live Through Time was also in the 600,000s, but this one just beats it, right? Yeah, 197 for Girl Who Left Through Time and Wolf Children is 190. Yep. Yeah, so, yo, like, eight point over an 8.6 on my anime list, top 71, 190 ranking for popularity, like, those are numbers that you cannot scoff at. And the Wolf Children movie is about a mother who tries to raise her kids and these kids, one girl and one boy, both have the ability to be human and transform into wolves. Yeah, let's just say it straight up, right? Hana, the main character, falls in love with a mysterious man who turns out to be a a wolf man, a werewolf of sorts. And then ends up they end up eloping, they have children but suddenly the mysterious man leaves the family and then Hana is left to raise her two children and the two children have to essentially grow up with with the knowledge that they're both wolf and they're both human which path do they go down how do they choose to live their lives how do they choose to define themselves as humans within the society they live in and so again i think it definitely covers a lot if not all of the Hosoda themes and topics, but I think in terms of all the movies, this is the one which is like the most thematic, the one with, which generate the most discussion. And I think both of us hold this in really high regard as well. Yes. Uh, the two kids in question, their name is Ame, which is rainfall, and Yuki, which is snow. And 
this woman, Hannah, who is the mom, deserves MVP of mother of like anime. Best girl. Best 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 mother. Best mom. I think also the girl the woman mom from Erased, best mom ever as well. But Hannah is like god tier, bro. It's it's a really good movie because the fact this actually ties back down to the, the depiction of women, or at least just the depiction of general characters that Hosoda wanted to critique on in that Yes, people can be flawed, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they have to do things to fix themselves and earn back that purity. No, sometimes if you're broken, you just need help. That's just the way things are, and we shouldn't have to criticize it. In fact, we should at least celebrate the fact that those are the very key things that make us human, or at least make us recognize ourselves as a certain individual. And those are the things that Wolf Children definitely taps into. It generates a lot of discussion on what it means to be a contributing society, a member to society, and just generally as you grow up, as you start seeing what the real world looks like and what it does for you, how you place yourself amongst everyone else. I also want to say that Hana's journey as a mother who has basically wolf children, and she herself is a human being, 100%. So she has to juggle things that obviously... People don't have to juggle. Yeah, in, in, in a way, when they portray it, it's like, yeah, these real world problems are really not that significant. But at the same time, we're also not single mothers who are raising two children to have the ability to turn to wolves in a society where, to this day, when we talk about old like fairy tales and stuff, wolves are generally depicted to be bad. So what happens when you have children who you love and cherish very much and want them to live a quote-unquote normal life, but they themselves already aren't quote-unquote normal? And I think that her journey, they they spend an exuberant amount of time of the film dedicated to Hana's journey as a mother. And that journey is so beautifully depicted, and it is so heartwarming to me. And uh, this movie is 10 out of 10 material. It is my favorite, like, a sort of movie, I'll just say right now. I gave it a 9.5. I don't know if it's a 9 or a 10, but as as far as I could, you could tell, this is my, like, one of, the, one of my favorite movies of all time. Definitely one of my favorite for a soda. And you can even hear as well, like, in terms of the discussion and just talking about the movie itself, like, we've gone into much more length compared to Summer Wars and compared to The Girl Who Led Through Time. And it's nothing against the other two movies. It's just, as we said, this is a movie that generates discussion. Yeah, not only that, but I will never look at the refrigerator arc of this movie the same way with uh, uh, anything. Bro, cherish your refrigerators, okay? They're they're a constant in your life that you need to maintain. (laughs) So this film earned... $55 $55 million in terms of box office, U.S. dollars, right? Significant uptick compared to Summer Wars. It has also won a shit ton of awards and accolades, which I it's just I just I just won't. Some of them, Japanese, Japan Academy Awards, Tokyo Anime Film Awards, There's just a whole gamut of them. Yeah. But this film also is extremely special for Hosoda, and there is a huge extensive interview about his kind of involvement and his inspirations for wolf children he basically has said that he worked on this film because he saw people around him were raising children and he saw the parents shining as they become parents 
He also talks about how the backdrop of the film is actually heavily inspired or is his hometown. And that is extremely important for anybody because when you're depicting your home, you really have a huge personal connection to it. And for him to literally go back to where he was born to to and, and use it as the film setting and then incorporate it with motherly love uh char like char- raising a ch- like two children like and not shying anything away from the quote unquote trials and tribulations and i guess ugliness in a way it's not really ugliness but the hardships that the, the harsh realities the harsh realities that a single mother would face i think at one point uh, one of the things that are very unique in Wolf Children that you obviously will not experience in real life as a parent is, let's just say that um, something happens to one of the kids, and then the mom panics, and it's the middle of the night, and she has to find help. And here comes the crossroads and duality. Yeah, but she, this, is, this is the, the extreme of right. that. She looks on the left side, and there is something. On the right side, there is another thing. And she literally has to choose which one to, like, her choice. Because and, both of them come with an equal level of panic and rejection as well. Because whichever choice you have, you're going to have questions asked. And this is like one of those moments where, like, wow, I don't know what the fuck to pick. But because of the fact that this is a movie about love, care, motherly, like, warmth, as well as hardships and endurance, I think, like, the main thing that's what... What what Masoda wants. This is a movie about enduring things, enduring childhood, enduring like bullying, enduring like hardships of, of of growing up, enduring the public perception of certain things that you know may, may may be positive or negative. It's it's a very hard movie to watch in the sense that these realities are very much applicable to anything that we as viewers would also experience. Now, the one thing that I will mention about the film itself is the ending. I don't I think Will also agrees with me on this, but I feel that the ending, while it is expected and kind of like, oh, I can see that being the ending, I felt kinda robbed a little bit. It could have been done better, but yeah. the way it was done and what it's supposed to represent, I guess it makes sense. No, it does make sense. And all obviously it's a very small criticism of a vastly yeah. amazing film. At this point we're just nitpicking. Right, but look, like critiques, like they're gonna be. We were trying to be as objective as possible, and yeah, for like the movie, ninety nine percent of it was the greatest thing we have watched from Hosoda. I also like the fact. The last thing I'll say is I also like the fact that the the wolf children, Ame and Yuki, what throughout the movie, they it's not just like oh, they're beast children, and then they treat it as like a, a selling point for the film. They actually go through the whole thing of if you were actually to raise beast children how different would it be what issues you would encounter like actually a lot of thought has been put behind this it's not just simply like oh yeah let's just put furries there because it's a soda's thing yeah but speaking of a soda's thing this is probably the movie that had like the most personal touch the most like personal influence of a soda the fact that the movie is based in his hometown the fact that the model of the houses were based on people that he knew the gymnasium, uh, the school, I think, also. Yeah, also based on a school that he had been to, or at least like, has 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 come across. Even like one of the one of the food items they eat is based on a local dish that his parents, though his wife's parents, 
um, grew up in. Like, there's a lot of influence that comes from personal experiences, and you could see that just through the journey of Hana and her children. Not to say that this is what Hosoda's life is, but very much based on real life experiences based on his interactions not just with the local people but also the local culture the environment everything coming together makes it feel like a personal love story for rural japan for like his his own hometown upbringing and it's it's a very very beautiful movie all right now we fast forward three years to 2015 and the boy and the beast is the next hasoda film it is has a my anime list rating of 8.29 has a ranking of 235 popularity 479 and 355,657 members so quite few yeah this just then starts like the beginning of the the chizu the solo chizu productions so it i i, I quite like this movie this movie was a, a very fun watch um generally the movie is again Kind of similar in terms of how it's about duality, about choices, about adversity and upbringing and all that. Um, it starts off with essentially two different people that grow up in their own respective worlds. Uh, and a young boy named Ren uh, essentially kind of like shunned from his family or like at least what appears to be like what his family is. Having to basically grow up in life with, with no shelter no parents no stability whatsoever and so he's kind of thrown into this large confusing world that is shibuya uh, which is a daunting place for any nine-year-old child but as he's i mean really, it's a daunting place when even i go there like well it's just as, crazy energy yeah exactly right? but then he starts navigating himself throughout the streets and then ends up getting isekai'd not that he dies he just gets transported to a whole new world and then in this world that's when he meets his counterparts this large overbearing character named uh, Kumatetsu, which is just essentially a, a, a huge beast man, like a bear man um, that lives in the realm of Shibuten. So this is when you start seeing not just... Now, this is actually the one time when you don't just see one central character. It's kind of following the the story of two people having to make separate choices and navigating through life, similar to how the two children and wolf children also have to navigate through life and make their own choices to become the people that they want to be. Ren, Kumatetsu, both of them have certain expectations of themselves, but not really getting that support from the world that they live in. And as they start to grow up together and start to learn more about each other and the respective worlds they live in, starting to really start shaping their perceptions of what the real world is, what their part in society is. Sometimes it fits in well. Sometimes you start questioning, well, why can't I have this when this already exists? Or people don't understand this part of my life. Why should I expect them to be a part of my life when they don't exist in this particular continuum? And that's when, like again, similar to Wolf Children, the choices of life, the dualities of life are very, very prevalent as a theme in the Boy and the Beast. The Boy and the Beast won Animation of the Year at the 37th Japan Academy Prizes and has got a box office worldwide, a worldwide uh, revenue of 51.4 million. So still pretty high comparatively to, for example, uh, some of his uh, uh, Studio Chizu's previous works and Hisoda's previous works as well. 
So it's very respectable. It's uh, definitely like very well received as well. But I think generally, okay, whilst the ranking on Miami list is high at an 8.31, 8. 3, oh, 8. 8.29 now, actually, um, it's... It's, it's, it's a bit more debatable in terms of where the movie ranks in people's personal lists. Because on one hand, while it's incredibly visually impressive and the characters are very likable, on the other hand, I think that when it comes to the plot, this one is probably the least well done. And it's not it's not a bad thing to say. It's just we got we definitely got a lot of a lot of attachments for the previous movies, right? Girl Who Through Time, Summer Wars, Wolf Children. They definitely left like a very strong impression of what we feel these characters left as an impression on how we see the world, how we perceive character development. Boy and the Beast does do those things, but maybe not as fleshed out as we w- hoped it would do. In terms of how produced it was, how, how let's be real. Like the animation quality compared to the previous three movies was incre- it's, it's it's probably the best out of the four we've mentioned so far. But when it comes to delivering the plot, the message of the story, it kind of falls short. Now, Will has uh, mentioned a lot of things that I agree with. For example, the production of the film is undeniable. The use of color, music, animation quality is fantastic. It is what you would expect of a Studio Chizu, and also a Mamoru Hosoda property. Furthermore, the the action there's a action scene, uh, a, long, a long action scene towards the end that is also done extremely well, very vibrant, very energetic. A lot of things are great about Boy and the Beast or what you would expect out of a Mamoru Hosoda's film. Yeah, undeniably, it is a, a visual masterpiece. But... I think that the plot of this movie is, to be honest, not good. Is it is it like garbage or crap? Absolutely not. But when you compare it to what has been established in the past, especially especially after Wolf Children, this is what comes out. I can't help but feel disappointed. Yeah, if we talk about like just generally the the previous movies, they all kind of follow a similar format in which the first half, or at least the majority of the beginning of a Hosoda movie, whether it's Girl Through Time, Summer Wars, uh, even Boy and the Beast, it's very slice of life. It's very much just character building, world building, and then the latter half is when like the real action kicks in, and that's the part which like if it didn't already leave an impression on you, it will now. Boy and the Beast is probably the weakest of the four so far when it comes to leaving an impression on you. I also think that the there is a lot of plot holes and continuity that even if you are not a stickler, you would kind of be like, why? But okay, like, how does that work? And then furthermore, I will say, though, there is, as I said, a long, long action scene towards the end. It actually looks fantastic, but... A lot the, of the reasons for it happening, right? The exactly. choices, the 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 way that it resolves, the the weapon that was used, the the things. Just so much of it is. It looks great. It's choreographed very well, but the the story, the plot, the motivation is so loose, so kind of. And not a lot, strong. a lot of times when those things do happen, like we tend to just laugh it off, right? Something happens, like oh, 
cool. I guess that thing happened. <laughs> yeah. Literally, that happened. Like we watched it together, and there was a point where it was crazy. It was funny because when that point happened, we Will laughed. No, Will time. laughed, and I just laughed, but I like you know put my hand down like oh my god this is disgraceful not that it really was disgraceful but like god damn it it's just i, I think that we, we, we might sound really harsh with our criticisms but you have to understand like when you watch like the first three movies in summer wars in both children in girlhood through time when yeah it's very slice of life but then like when things ramp up and like shit gets serious it leaves an impression on you this on the other hand it's like if you were to just take away the plot and just watch it for what it is like a visual masterpiece like yeah wonderful you add the plot in and unfortunately it, it pegs down the score a couple notches i will be honest i gave uh boy and the beast eight out of ten so similarly the same score with summer wars and with girl who left through time however oh, no sorry yeah, summer yeah, wars, wars is, is 10, 10 out of 10 sorry so it's 8 10 10 8 unfortunately though when i give it an 8 out of 10 it's kind of like i can't deny that the it looks great and everything so that i kind of feel like it's like a forced eight in my opinion i think more it's that like with girl who through time like it could have been a nine it could be an eight or a nine absolutely whereas, whereas this one it's like it's a flat eight and i don't think it would be able to go beyond that like look visually artistically it's fucking incredible but it's held back by a lackluster plot which if you don't really care about sure go ahead and enjoy the movie but it, it leaves you wanting more. It feels like it was done quite cheaply and like so all, all the plot holes they just kind of just paved over. Like, yeah, sure, you can get blindsided by the like the, the visual effects and like the fighting sequences, but let's be real. Like when you actually think about what the plot is, it's hard to actually tell someone and then have them be convinced that it's a movie worth watching. Like you talk about what happens in Wolf Children, you talk about what happens in Summer Wars, people will be like, Yeah, I can vibe with that. But you talk about Boy and the Beast yeah, like, okay, some fighting sequences are dope. Animation quality is, like, fucking... Like, Chizu did a fucking good job with it. But it's not, like, a memorable plot. Absolutely. So now we fast... Oh, so uh, we fast forward three years... To the Mirai. To the Mirai, to the future. And we have now gone to the second-to-last film that Mamoru Hosoda has done. And in my opinion, the most controversial one. It is called Mirai. Which, or in Japan, it's Mirai no Mirai, which is Mirai's future. Right, because uh, the, someone is named Mirai in the film. It has a raw score of 7.30, rank 2378, popularity 1531, and a member number of 108,942. Yeah, which by Hosoda standards as of now, yes, it is fairly recent compared to the other movies but damn like the the percentage droppage for both the score and the popularity is significant and the members like this is the lowest point at least from the my anime list rating perspective like even if we were to look at summer wars it's only got one quarter of their the less than a quarter of of their members total so the movie okay Okay, okay, let's just quickly go over like the the plot synopsis, and then we can start discussing like what quote unquote was controversial okay. about the movie. Be- before that, I would like to say that uh, the worldwide box office is twenty eight point one million US dollars. So it is not great, but it's also not bad. But it's comparatively to the fifties of uh, Boy and the Beast fifties, and also with um, Wolf Children having fifty million or more. 
this is kind of a very big disappointment. The second thing that I will say about I wouldn't say disappointment. It still made a lot of like twenty eight million is still a lot but comparatively of money. to fifty. Well, I mean, you think about like the the box office, like the rating, and then compared to its worldwide acclaim, like you would imagine that it makes sense why Wolf Children and Boy and the Beast have a higher total. Mirai, I don't know. There wasn't as much fanfare around Mirai, other than the fact that it was the next upcoming Hosoda movie. It was nominated for a lot of awards, but did not win that much awards comparatively to all his other films. Except there is one thing, one award, or one nomination that is extremely important here, which is the U- the American Academy Awards. This film, Mirai, was nominated for the Best Anime Film category. Uh, Best Anime Animated feature. Anime feature. So that is quite unique in of itself. I think one thing that's clear here is when you talk about like the box office numbers, when you talk about its mal rankings, and you talk about the awards it's won or been nominated for, this is the one movie for Hosoda where it's very much critics' choice, but not necessarily popular choice, which would explain why box office-wise it is lower. It does, I mean, $28 million is still quite a lot of money. Absolutely. But I do understand, of course, that when you're comparing it to the, the $100 million that both Wolf Children and Boy and the Beast made together, yeah, the numbers could have been higher. But I think we, we, we can talk about the plot. We can talk about like our feelings and our, our perceptions of the movie, and hopefully that will paint a clearer picture as to why that perception of this movie is so divided so what is mirai about will so mirai follows the central character kun kun ota yeah yeah kun ota Ota. Uh, basically a young boy who lives in a weirdly designed house uh and finds out that uh he has a new baby a new newborn baby sister so all of a sudden he's no longer the only child he now has to basically share the love of his parents, but noticeably because of the fact that there's a new addition to the family, there's going to be a little more sharing of love on the baby daughter. Um, end up naming her Mirai, cute name, but Kun's not very happy. Kun is essentially disappointed that he no longer is the sole bearer of all love and affection from his family, and therefore just has a lot of episodic tantrums, just acting out, making a mess, going out to essentially destroy and and make a mess of the family household, even to the point where he he physically abuses, not physically abuses, he bullies his baby sister, even hitting her with toy trains. And No, no, it almost happened. I thought, never, he, he, never... I thought he tapped the first time. Okay, then, oh yeah, actually, yeah, maybe. There was, there was a hit. The second time he was going to do it, but and then. And then the mom stopped him. Yeah. So, the, I guess the more, interesting supernatural aspect occurs with um kun going through certain uh, do we want there's actually- a for, there's a there's a part okay so let's just quickly talk about the design of the house the house is pretty much like it's kind of like on a slope yes right so at the bottom you have like the quote unquote the playroom and then you have the garden followed by the kitchen slash living room and then you have the bedroom at the top it's imagine like a semi-detached house except that it's all connected by staircases and in between there is a little garden with a tree on, and, the very, on the far side of the garden and the logic of why the the house is designed this way is because the mom and the dad or at least the mom for sure is an architect and she i guess designed I thought, the I house thought the, I thought the dad was the architect i thought both of them were the architect i guess they're both architects okay one of them are 
at least the architect. So therefore, they designed the house or they wanted a house that had this kind of aesthetic. In fact, very, very beginning, the nanny. It just looks like a very inconvenient house, honestly. Yeah, honestly, yeah. So let's just say that when Kun travels from one section of the house to another, instead of actually traveling to, traveling to that section of the house, he travels to somewhere else. And that somewhere else is usually um, something that has happened. Or is connected to like a family member. Exactly. And that would have also have impact on the current issue or conflict that Kun is facing at that moment. It's very much an exploration of life. It's, it's, it's one thing I would say as well is this felt as close to a experimental a, film, a Wes Anderson movie. Absolutely. Like as, as can be like it is in terms of the whole six films this is the most out there. This is the most experimental. This is the most... The riskiest one, I think. 100% the most riskiest one. We are trying to be very uh, cagey about what Kun goes through because I think that part of the joy of the film is what he goes through. But I will say that f- the advertisement for this film is quite deceptive because, yes, what you see in the f- in the poster or... The I guess the promotional images is there, but it's actually not the whole film, which is what I thought, and I think Will you thought as well. In fact, it's only just a small portion of it. I think another thing as well is with this movie, a lot of the vitriol, a lot of the hate comes from the temperament and the characteristics of the the main boy Kun towards and, his younger sister Mirai. And like okay, a lot of them are like, oh, there's just some spoilt brat that like is violent and just like is snobby and wants everything for himself. Like but the kid is four years old. Like, I, what what would you expect from a kid who all of a sudden is no longer the center of attention and just wants to be loved, just wants to be showered with attention by his parents? I understand that people would see Kun and be like, bro, this is what the fuck this stupid asshole brat. But for me Personally, but both of us are older siblings. Yes, right? I am the older brother and the oldest uh, sibling. I have a younger sister that is five years younger than me, and I have to be super honest. When I was like a kid, and the baby my sister shows up, a lot of the tantrums, naggings that Kun goes through, or at least the very at the very very least the thought, those are all were all present in my experiences. Yes, did I do a lot of things that I really regret now that I wish I didn't? Absolutely. I wish I was nicer to my younger sister when we were both like little kids. But for God's sakes, how the fuck am I supposed to know at that age, right? Your 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 frame of reference for how you're supposed to act as a human being, like bro, like all I wanted to do was eat Eggo waffles and watch Power Rangers. Like how the fuck am I supposed to know that like as a parent, you're supposed to take care of both children at the same time and not necessarily, like, it, you, you, when you have a newborn, yes, they're going to have to have more attention because they're more susceptible to illnesses, they're growing up, and you want to make sure that they grow up just as well as the first child, right? So, but you don't understand that as a kid. You, right. you, you just think that, oh, they don't love you anymore. Yeah, or like, oh, I'm watching this TV show, but... uh my parents told me to turn it off, but I've always watched it when I was a kid before my younger sister showed up. So what the hell, guys? Oh, wait. Um, I used to build all these Legos and make all these train sets, but all of a sudden now, because there's a new baby in the house, I need to share that space. But wait, but like this space is my space. 
This is my playtime. This Wait, is my play area. My grandparents would come to visit me, and I was always like the cute, you know, grandchildren. But now everyone wants to take photos of the newborn because, of course, you would do that in real life. But as a kid in that situation, you're like, "Fuck this shit!" Right? Yeah. So I think like that 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 generally is probably the main criticism for the movie, outside the fact that it's 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 very left field compared to all the other Hasoda. And movies. I would agree with that assessment because. I think that the fact that it's very left field is what makes it such a good film, in my opinion. But I also agree that if that is your reason for disliking it, uh, that's totally 100% understandable. I will say this. That final sequence with the train station, I thought was fantastic. I thought it was really well done. I'm telling you, if that were to happen to me in real life, I would be scared shitless. Oh, wait, it's the same thing with, like, imagine like, living life in like a Wes Anderson movie. You would be fucking freaking out. Right, like imagine you're living in like the uh, Grand Budapest Hotel, or you're living in like the Isle of Dogs. Like that shit is fucking terrifying, and like it's 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 those kinds of visual aesthetics, those kinds of themes in this movie that because it's so different from Hosoda's other movies, it's kind of refreshing. Absolutely, I think it's very refreshing. I also think that the fact that this was the one film that earned a nomination for the Academy Award rubs a lot of people the wrong way, especially when you consider people put things like Wolf Children or Boy and the Beast in more higher regard. And towards that, you could be right, could be wrong. I mean, I'm not like here to argue for or against that. But what I will say is that, personally, I gave Mirai a 9 out of 10. I really like Mirai. And if you don't like it, that's okay. And if you like a kind of... N- the, actually, Will... Oh, actually, this is actually incredible. So, um, so... The it, it got nominated for the Academy Awards, ninety first Academy Awards for Best Anime Who Feature. Won? Uh, so before that, you know how I talked about Wes Anderson. Oh God, Isle of Dogs was one of the nominations. I see. Incredibles two as well, as well as Ralph Breaks the Internet. Now, when you think about who won, Ralph Breaks the Internet. No. Oh, Spider-Man shit. Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, that was actually really so. Good. That made sense. It's a fucking great movie. But to be in that group of of, of other movies that like got nominations, like Isle of Dogs was great. Ralph Breaks the Internet looked fucking incredible. Incredibles 2, like, of course, like story franchise. People love that shit. And then to only lose out to Spider-Man, bro, like you did well. But again, just because it's well-received by critics and Academy Awards doesn't mean that the general populace feel the same way about it. And, and we the, understand that. And the general populace does not feel the same way about that. But I like it. I gave it a 9 out of 10. I gave it a 9. Not as well. And I understand that it can rub people the wrong way, but sometimes you just need to be a little bit more, like, reserved. You just step back and appreciate for what it is. If you don't like it, that's fine. And it's it's such a condensely small, cute story. Like, like it's... It is actually very small. They never leave the house. Yeah, the scale is so... I mean, they kind of do. It's funny, actually, because anytime they do any, like, pans of the, the city, you're like, oh, they're about to go out. Nope. They go back into the house. Back into the house. It's like one of those bottleneck episodes in TV series where they're all stuck in one location, but then they kind of have other locations. But really, it is the house, right? In this case, it is just the house. So I like the movie. Jason liked the movie. It's not everyone's cup of tea, but I think that if you want to have a different Hosoda experience, like this is the one because it is the most different out of all the, the six movies we were talking about Look, today. Maybe Will and I are biased because we are. Older, I, only just, I only just watched it yesterday. Yeah, maybe so. we're older brothers, so therefore we have some uh, personal attachment to it. And also because you know we're always right as the GAP bros. But you should really give Mirai a chance. Right. Now we go into the most recent and the final movie 
of that Hazoda's yet, catalog. That has yet to be released in the Western world, like in the U.S., for example. But, so we will be a bit careful of what we say. But generally, like, I think the theme, the themes, the characters, you would have already seen it in the trailer. And you can kind of infer from the movie poster what the movie's about. We have now arrived to present year, 2021, for the movie Bell. It has uh, my, animus, my anime list rating of 7.79, ranked 877. Ooh, popularity 2795 and 40,642 members. I think there, it, you can give it some slack there simply because it only came out like a few months ago, whereas the other ones had several years for people to basically join onto like the membership board. Now, here's the crazy thing. Already, it has earned $57 million worldwide, making it the most successful Hosoda film by far. And if you consider the fact that the anime film has not even released to I guess like half of the world, you still got you can still earn quite a bit of more money. The other thing that I think is very important that we even mentioned within the season of the podcast is, and even within this after dark is the standing ovation that lasts fourteen minutes at the Cannes Film Festival when Bell premiered. The the record right now for the longest standing ovation. Now of course, being a film festival, there, there is like a certain caveat with this kind of record but let's let's just call it what it is it's it's cool it's it's amazing that it got 14 minutes of standing ovation and the fact that it is the anime film instead of you know whatever else it could have been so it definitely grabbed a lot of people's attention and definitely grabbed my attention when we reported on this news bell if again we're trying to be very cagey with um spoilers so i will just say this bell is basically Beauty and the Beast story, literally, but in Japanese anime form. It meets Facebook. And is in a virtual world similar to Summer Wars Oz, except more, more realized. Also, Belle features a lot of singing that is very reminiscent of Disney movies. That is basically a Japanese Disney Beauty and the Beast directed by Mamoru Hosoda in the digital world. That's it. Right, Will? You'd say that? That's it? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's more to it, of course, but that's what we'll go with. I'm actually looking up articles to why standing ovations are super, super long at Cannes. Is it because like someone claps and then they rest while the other person claps and then they keep clapping and then... No, nah, it's just it's prestige hierarchy. That's basically what it is. It's just basically people trying to generate more hype for what it is and like kind of like an overextension of artistic value again though let's just say what it is to even get like that kind of fanfare from a Cannes festival or any festival in general yo props bell like y'all done some good shit i think that uh in terms of beauty and the beast the disney movie i quite liked it as a kid i think obviously my younger sister liked it way more but i put it in very high regard, and I think a lot of people do as well. Oh, it was cool. I didn't watch the live action, though. I did not watch I, the live action as I well. I refuse to watch the live actions because it's not for my generation. The reason why these movies are not popping up as rendi- like live action renditions is to attract the new generation, which is why you have Aladdin, you have Beauty and the Beast, you have Mulan, Mulan you have um, Lion King. 
Right. Uh, I watched Lion King. The Jungle King. Book was also, right? I think there's another one, yeah. Did again, I, I, as a kid, I watched the live action Jungle Book 2 that came out like 20 years ago. There was? There was. And it was, it was terrifying. Oh my God. Okay. Because like, they don't use, like, they use like real animals. Okay, okay. Okay, we're going off that was, topic. It was dope. But like now we go into this world where we talk about digital animals, digital beasts. I will say one thing right now, which we have not mentioned up till now about Bell. Which is the singing is fucking fantastic, like phenomenally fantastic. I mean, I did mention that there was singing involved, but like I listened to it on my Spotify. Like it is really, really good. The other thing that I will say about uh, the film is that it looks great, and the digital space looks so good, like so, so good. Like our our first experience of watching like a soda a soda digital verse was from summer wars and oz looked pretty damn cool but then when you look into bell's world you you right it, it, it's like just call it what it is it's just simple digital world it's right the letter you but you know you know you as a person right yeah, it's, okay. it's it's essentially today's metaverse because you use it for, as your main social media platform you use it to do transactions you use it to essentially just do anything post youtube equivalent videos everything everything now i i 100 agree with jason the visual fluidity of the digital world the music is just holy fuck i will tell you right now if all properties anime properties digital uh, anime film or you know anime tv series had 3D implemented like that. I know logistically and realistically that probably not going to happen. But if they all looked like that, I would totally be on the advocate 3D CG anime for everything. It really does look fantastic. I mean, the other thing as well, like not only is it done by Yuichi Sato and Hosoda, the, the, the OGs of Chizu, it also had help from Disney as well. So some Disney producers and animators actually worked on this movie. And also uh, Ludwig Vorsman, or I can't pronounce his last name. Uh, essentially, he was a music producer and composer that worked with uh, Kojima Productions, the studio that had done um, all the Metal Gear games along with Death Stranding. And then he left the studio last year and then got attached to Bell. And like, look, if you have that kind of animation team helping you, that kind of music production team helping you, and then you have the vision of Hosoda, you know as a visual and audio spectacle, holy fuck, it is the greatest thing that I've watched out of all the Hosoda movies. At this point, it will be actually the first time that we actually talked about a voice actress and... Belle's voice actress is actually a singer. And her kind of, um, what, what would you call it? Uh, Kato uh, Nakamura. Kaho, Kaho Nakamura, Na- Nakamura. Yeah. That's her only credit so far. She does a very, very good job in terms of her voice acting. Obviously, her singing is phenomenal. And she is now doing concerts, whether it is online or in real person, all over Japan, promoting and singing this song. I think called Millennium, I think, is one of the songs fantastic the opening scene of bell uh, dude like whales speakers digital space it's just a fucking like digital rave yeah it was okay i i I think we've said it many many a time already like in the last 10 minutes we talked about bell but 
visually, it's 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 the best out of across every single Hosoda movie. Yeah, I know it's recent, so it has the best like technology or whatever or whatever. But and of it, course, it has like the right production cast working alongside. But like that's don't take doesn't it doesn't take anything away from it. Like Hosoda planned this shit out and got the right people to do this. And if you want like a visual and audio orgasm, Bell. Is it Mamoru Hosoda has quote has been quoted multiple times in multiple interviews that Bell was the film that he wanted to make from a long, long time ago, and everything that he has made up till now culminated into this movie, like the digital world that you saw in Summer Wars, the, the duality be- of choice that you saw in Girl Who Left Through Time, the, the struggles of growing up from wolf children, the beast kind of the beast dynamic, the the. A female high school girl going through trials and tribulations. The life of being misunderstood or misrepresented from like Mirai as well. The absurdity that comes towards the end of Summer Wars is also present towards the end of um, Belle. The fact that the main female character goes has a traumatic past in regarding a certain event and her overcoming that. All of this. And also, there is a a really, really nice, cute, continuous shot of a bus station, and the interactions in that bus station is... It just brought a smile to my face, and I think one of the audience members in the cinema, they actually, like... They laughed for, like, a couple minutes. Yeah, like, they well, got, well, well, after the scene was done, like she was she was still laughing for, like, another three, four minutes afterwards. And it is really cute, for sure. And that's one of the things, as well, like, whenever you see, like, a certain character trope in Hosoda movies, it's always that kind of stunned... Um, girl or guy who just stares blankly at the other character and just open jaw, just huh, Nani? Oh yeah, we forgot that is a very uh, What's up? that's a very prominent. Much it. <laughs> that's a very prominent uh Hasoda thing to have at some point. It's just like awkward awkward pauses that lead to like a lot of misunderstanding and of course comedic value, and it it, it works well, especially in Bell. I think also Bell is a very, very good gateway film towards the works of Hasoda. Similarly with um, I, I think, Girl I, Left Through Time. I think basically like, if, if you wanted to just like tell somebody who has had no experience of anime or like it's just like sort of like dipping their toes into the world of anime, Bell is the movie to go. And, it, and like, it might sound like a critique, but it's as Disney a film as you can get. Absolutely. Right, it's not a bad thing. It means like literally anybody from any walk of life, from any medium that they like and appreciate, will still be able to enjoy Bell. Now, even though Will and I have pretty much lavish, endless praise on this movie, I still gave it a nine out of ten. I still think it is a very exceptional film, but it doesn't really resonate in terms of an emotional, personal connection that other films like Summer Wars and wolf children has yeah the, the the emotional value you get of it is through the music that that's the one aspect and, and that the eye it, candy it, it, it does really really well but when we talked about like when we talk about like the, the plots of uh of wolf children of mirai like those kinds of things like we had a lot of personal attachment and i think a lot of people also had attachment to it as well bell overall is just like the perfect movie to get into anime I, I can't really think outside of maybe like the Ghibli stuff, of course, right? But like if you talked about 
just the visual aspect of music, the plot. It's I mean, very also, easy, easy to digest as well. I mean, also Moto- Makoto Shinkai. You can't forget him, though. Oh, forget. No, well, we, we'll talk about him at another point. Oh, we will do an After Dark on him, like, way in the future. But this isn't about Makoto Shinkai. This is about Mamoru Hosoda. So, we are actually done talking about all six of Mamoru Hosoda's works. Let's talk about our personal rankings. I actually have my rankings in front of you, Will, if you scroll down. So if you don't want to spoil it, don't look down. Let's go from the most favorite to least. The ones that we're oh, talking... start that way. You want to... Okay. The ones that we're talking about is Girl Who Left Through Time, Summer Wars, Wolf Children, Boy and the Beast, Mirai, and Belle. I mean, you, we can do it the other way around. Which one do you want to do? Uh, let's start with... Uh, like least or most? Let's start with least. Okay. My least favorite is Boy and the Beast, as you might have heard from my uh, critiques of the movie. I I think I still think, look, the movie is still really good, for sure. It's just the weakest. The criticisms that come along with it like, are definitely more compared to the other ones, right? It's just like our After Dark 2 of Tokyo Ghoul with the openings, right? Like, at some point, if they're all good, but if we rank them, someone has to be at the bottom. Like, that's just the way it is, right? Yeah. For me... I guess controversially for you, I actually had Summer Wars as my least favorite. Oh no, I, I, I honestly I can see that because the there's a lot of things that are simple, and I don't mean that in a good way. Actually, like people will look at that and be like, yeah, okay. But sometimes like like less is more, right? Like if you just get what you want out of Summer Wars, it could rank as a very fantastic movie. I think it's just in the end because the plot just felt incredibly similar to the Digimon, our war game like movie plot. It, it, it was cool. I liked it, but I definitely had more enjoyment out of the other ones, which actually leads me to number five. Wait, I, I actually, because I don't remember War, uh, Digimon, the second movie, yeah. I think maybe that's also why I put Summer Wars much higher than I might have if I remembered that movie. Right. If if we were to replace Summer Wars with that Digimon movie, where would it place though? Oh, I I probably would keep it somewhere. I mean, like, if it's like if I watched that movie like right after watching Digimon, Digimon, I probably would have have it higher ranked. I think it's just as time has gone by, oh. it's like I, I I appreciated the Digimon movie for what it is, and then seeing Summer Wars, I'm not saying it's like an imitation of it. I'm just saying that like I'd seen something like this before. Again, I mean, it's, it's not. It's this, not a bad movie. It's at made all. by the same guy, exactly. So of course, right? all right. What's your next? Oh, actually, the number five was um, Boy and the Beast. It was. It was a toss up between the two. I think in the end, I think it's just the enjoyment. What? Like, yeah, I put Boy and the Beast as number five. What? I think in the end, though, like, like for what it is, out of the enjoyment I got out of it, like it did what it needed to do. Therefore, it was kind of hard to choose between Summer Wars and Boy and the Beast. But I have them both as like the bottom of the six. And again. They're still fantastic movies. I think I just got more comedic value out of Boy and the Beast um, compared to Summer Wars. Okay. Uh, you actually didn't look at my list, right? No. Okay. My second, like, uh, from the bottom up. Number five. Number five is The Girl Who Leapt Through Time. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. You had yeah. that. So, Okay. But I mean, you were talking about how you liked Summer Wars for its simplicity, right? Isn't Girl Who Left Through Time also a simple movie? Very simple. Uh, the problem that I have with The Girl Who Left Through Time is it's actually quite unfair, but it is mainly the spectacle. The spectacle element of The Girl Who Left Through Time is actually very minimal because at least with Summer Wars, there is the Oz, there is sort of the game that's being played, 
there is the stakes, even though the stakes were extremely absurd, like there was value in the absurdity and the stakes. Whereas with Summer, uh, with the girl who left through time, it is, it is it's simple but very minimalistic. It's it's good. Look, it's still good. But yeah, I had that as number four actually. Okay. Summer, uh, no, summer girl who lived through time was the fourth best for me and again it's, it's also not, like, in a way i do agree with you it's not like a huge margin above the boy and the beast and it, it, there are certain things that work against it right it doesn't have the digital world it doesn't have the musical spectacles it doesn't have like, the crazy animation qualities and of course being the first like madhouse property that makoto shinkai no, no, uh mamoru hosoda uh, did there were going to be a f- certain things that like work against it, but I still enjoyed the movie. I still enjoyed it. Like the plot was simple, but it worked. All right, my number four is the most recent. Oh no, it's the most recent Hasoda movie. It's Bell. Bell is number four. If I were to say though, in terms of films to recommend among Hasoda's works, Bell would be number one, as you and I have discussed just moments ago but in terms of my personal favorite it is ranked number four what's number three for you then mirai okay mirai is number three i um i don't know i just really like towards i guess the last 20 30 minutes of the film of mirai i was just smiling i really was and i noticed at some point and i just couldn't stop like grinning and I think that really encapsulates sort of my feelings on Mirai as a film. Furthermore, and I know this is slightly biased, the older sibling to younger sibling dynamic of being very young and then a baby shows up and getting the attention. Yes, a lot of people criticize the behavior of the older brat, the main character, Kun. But oh, he's an asshole for yeah, sure. He's an asshole for sure, but I was that asshole. Maybe not to that extent, but definitely an asshole nonetheless like and if you, I, you can't fault a child for wanting the love of his parents right like god damn he's four years old what the fuck does he know like there was a moment in mirai where he was like dad 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 and is that like a, and it goes on for a bit like is that annoying that definitely a hundred percent. how many times have you been on the plane where you're sitting next to your dad or your mom you're like are we there yet are we there yet are we there yet because i did that shit a lot and i did that shit a lot too so it's very, very relatable to me. That's that. That's why I also put Mirai in the the third place. And the lessons that they learn is cool. It's it's definitely like a good story to watch if you just want to understand like what 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 purity is and what family means to you. Right? Like sometimes like, kids just don't know any better. Their frame of reference for life is what they've what what they've consumed, what they've seen, and what they've been given. If they've been given their parents' love for the first three years of their life. It's going to be weird as fuck for them if all of a sudden it just gets taken away from them. And the the kun that was at the beginning of the film to kun that was at the end of the film, and especially the last like sequence before the credit shows up, I mean, I, I it, you won't get really that emotional, but I was just beaming with joy, really. Like, it really, I was just so happy. Right. So you had Mira as number three, right? Yes. I also had Mira as number three. Okay. Right, which then means now, like, it would be basically, the feelings you had for Mira are exactly the same as mine, right? It's definitely a weird movie when you compare it to everything else. But then again, it's like, 
seeing digital monsters and like a fucking metaverse and then juxtaposing it with rural Japan. Like there's an element of weirdness too. We're just talking about like artistically left field. Now, number two, do you want to say bell? Right. I, yeah, of course. Bell's okay. number two for me. And, and it's, it's not even like recency bias. It's not just the fact that like it's the easiest digestible anime movie for like, you know, a newcomer into the world, into the industry. I just thought that everything it did like worked really well like visually impressive the music was the greatest i'd seen probably maybe even this year i i would probably say like music wise the performance is incredible and the the plot was good enough and easy enough for you to just just buy into that whether you're a seasoned anime fan whether you're a newcomer or somewhere in between like we will all find some level of enjoyment out of it summer wars is my number two uh you have already heard my praises and my attachment towards that movie so i won't harp on it anymore instead we'll let's harp on wolf children being number one for both of us right right wolf children okay so prior to watching anything hosoda right like i had no reference as to what the hosoda movies were going to be about oh actually if you could uh explain to the listeners the sequence of hosoda movies that you watched like the first movie which would be bell right right yeah okay. and then, and so then... basically like a month or two ago uh when okay like again like i said had not watched any hosoda movie i'm not including the digimon stuff because you know watched that shit like almost 20 years ago so the first thing i watched was bell about a month ago followed by and then uh in order girl through, girl through time summer wars wolf children Born the Beast, and finally Mirai, which I actually just finished yesterday. So when it comes to like recency bias or like my memory of these movies, they all came out within the last month. So there really is no like bias to any of them. For me, they, I'm judging them all as objectively as possible because I just literally consume them as fresh as can be. But even though this movie came out nine years ago, Wolf Children, for me stands the test of time because of the fact that the story the plot is applicable to any generation that you come across if you were to watch it live at the time in 2012 if you were to watch it this day like right now after we talk about it in this recording i think that you can take the life lessons out of it and still apply it to your life right fucking now it's it's a very real depiction of what growing up with adversity and the duality of choice it's very much a, a reflection of what harsh reality is even in its most simple and quote-unquote like not non-consequential form visually it's it's good music wise it's good it's definitely not that musical audio masterpiece that is bell or even to an extent several wars or even Boy and the Beast, right? But the message it sends, the the feeling you get out of it, like there, like there are going to be tear jerking moments watching this movie. Like if, if it comes to like actually, absolutely, actually the tear jerking moments, this one has the most. Absolutely, A- like absolutely. I think. Oh, by the way, um, I know like we're we're actually recording on the podcast, but if you want to get more chicken bites for later, <laughs> we're hungry as shit. Also, because uh, we might be more like. Yeah, okay, fuck it. Anyways, Wolf Children. When I were to describe the Mamoru Hosoda film catalog, only one film, which 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 is Wolf Children, I would describe as a journey or a saga. 
because you literally follow Hana through motherhood and at the end of the movie there is some sort of resolution and that kind of resolution despite our criticisms of that is still expected and well done and there is a huge difference because whereas in Mirai I would say the before and after are very different in terms of the wolf children Hana as the mom yes she learns a lot of stuff and goes through a lot of struggles but she is still the same person from the moment the film begins to the moment the film ends and there is that kind of the fact that things don't change despite it is changing exactly it is so it's it's consistently real it is definitely real and the fact that there are the place that she lives there is a sense of community as we mentioned, there is a refrigerator arc. The fact that I even said that sentence and Will was like, yep, bro, I totally get it. Like, it's a good arc. And it's about a fucking refrigerator. So, look, it's it's just great. It is, you watch it, it is literally a roller coaster of emotions. There is one particular spot in Wolf Children where something almost fatal happens. And at that point, it changes the the kind of trajectory of some of the characters and that to me is so important and it makes so much sense and it says so much even though at the end of the day it's a film about a mom raising two kids who can also turn into fucking wolves like yeah like how the fuck does that work but it is my favorite Hasoda film by a mile yeah damn that refrigerator arc it is it, it it is the paragon of excellence that comes with a slice of life. I I I, I don't know. It, it it just it sounds stupid, right? Like why the fuck are we talking about? And a it's not even long. That that arc is not even long. It's but, literally 35, 40 seconds. But Vitria shows up, and then you move on to the next scene. That's it. But it's it's those small little things, and like we, we probably will talk about this in the future oh, when we do a slice of life episode. So Hana, let's say, moves to a certain location, and she has to literally clean the house that sequence of her cleaning the house while the kids kind of run around and cause mischief so good it's like, it's a it's a wonderful time like I, I i i know i keep repeating myself over this but like it's as real a movie as it can get because it doesn't cut corners like okay fine like why the fuck would there be children who can also morph into wolves but like the problems that come with it are very much grounded in reality. Like you would expect that if someone was to be different, the level of ostracization, a lot of, of criticism, a lot of people's extending off from you, it would be the same as any social stigmas you see in real life. And the heartbreak that Hana has to go through to kind of tell her two children, which she deeply loves, that there is going to be problems that each of you are going to have to face that I have never faced, so I can't even tell you what to do. And the fact that she gets into these dilemmas are so heartbreaking, but so real and very, very rewarding when it works out. And it is just the best. All right. By far the best. But then again, it doesn't mean that the other five movies aren't good. Like Every Hosoda movie I found enjoyment out of. And it's hard to say that because a lot of times when you have a varied and long like filmography, there's bound to be one or two things that you don't really click with, you don't really enjoy. But I definitely found enjoyment out of all the Hosoda movies. 
it's definitely a crowd pleaser at the very least. So that's my closing thoughts. Or will anything else mine, you want to say? Pretty much the same. I think like if you wanted to get into Hosoda movies or even just into anime in general, Bell is definitely one to watch along with Girl Who Let Through Time. And if you want something that really hits home and probably will like, you know, strum the strings of your heart, Wolf Children. I would say Bell first, then Wolf Children, then Girl Who Left Through Time. Yeah, I did. Those three definitely like you can pick and choose like how you want to go around them, but like you're not going to have a bad time. All of them will leave a lasting impression. All right. That is the end of our After Dark number six. You can always reach us through our email, gapallet at gmail.com. That's G-A-P-A-L-E-T-T-E at gmail.com, all lowercase, all one word. You can also contact us on Twitter using the handle at palletgood. That's capital P and capital G, all one word. We have a Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash palletgood, capital P, capital G, all one word. And we have a website, www.goodanimepalette.com, all lowercase, all one word. You can join us on Discord. We have a Mal Club, which is really sad because it's just Will and I right now. Uh, please join if you want. The Discord, though, has a few more people, but we would like more participation with people, with you guys, and just chat and just like bond over anime and manga and you can tell me how wrong i am about mirai and boy and the beast music credits for this episode our intro music is shakedown by low five our break music is up and down by toby tranter and our outro music is sunset dew by lupus nocte all music was provided courtesy of epidemicsound.com if you're interested in using epidemic sound as a service we will have a referral link that is provided for you in the show description all right. So in terms of the director spotlight, we first started with Masaki Yuasa. Your I would say your favorite, right? By far. Mamoru Hosoda is my favorite uh, anime film director by far. And then afterwards we're going to start talking about directors that are of course inferior to the two. <laughs> I'm joking though. We're not, no, 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 no. Yes, we, they are inferior but not necessarily in the way that you we say it. Like these are all these future episodes about director spotlights or you know staff spotlights are all important and influential in their own right. It's just that in terms of personal attachment and films that we vibe with, will vibes with Masaki Yuasa a lot. Even though I like Masaki Yuasa a lot, and I vibe a lot with Has- Mamoru Hosoda, and Will still likes Mamoru Hosoda. Yep. So. Who are we going to talk about in the next seasons? I mean, I actually know, but yeah, we're but not. We're not going we're, to tell we'll, you. We'll, we'll, you'll find out when you stay tuned for all the upcoming episodes, whether it's the regular episodes or the after dark episodes. So, thank you very much for listening to today's episode. We hope you have a, a wonderful weekend or whenever the hell you've been listening to this. Just enjoy your day. Go outside or hey, watch Bell if you can find Bell. Yeah, if you can't, well, just wait a bit longer. Or, actually, yeah, in the U.S., you'll watch it in a couple weeks' time. Or, hey, if you have the Digimon movie, let me know because I want to get a copy of that. So well, You um, have a copy, bro. No, but, like, it, it's in that really weird format where it's in the shape of a card, and I can't really put it in my PS4 drive. What? Oh, so – oh, I know what you're talking about. It's, in, it's actually in the shape of a rectangular card. Oh, fuck. I remember which you, which those. You to, which you have to place very carefully in a CD drive. And oh, you can't put... That's like the mini CDs exactly. kind of bullshit. And oh, you my. can't put it into a PS4 because it'll just get stuck in there. Dude, I remember that. Fuck that. Right? So, hey, if anyone has a way to just send me like an actual DVD, hey, hit, hit, hit me up. Just, just call Toei Animation. We got you. All right. Okay. 
Well, enjoy the rest of your week. We'll talk to you very, very soon. Peace.